Hello, climate change. Keep waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. I'm Amy, and I'm here with Jim. Want to say something, Jim? Say, go ahead. Whatever comes to mind. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. (laughs) Jim is my husband. We have been having conversations about climate change, and I've been having conversations with other people, too, because Jim has other things to do besides talk to me about climate change. And also because I I really want to have conversations with lots of different people. I think the new rule is whenever we find ourselves spontaneously having a conversation about climate change, it's time for us to do a podcast. And that you're nodding, which is invisible on the radio. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Do you remember what we were talking about? Because just yesterday we kind well, of yeah. got into it. Well, it actually started after I had listened to the podcast between you and David, your brother. Uh-huh. Which is the previous episode. Right. And then that got us talking about what the two of you had talked about. Right. And economics. Economics and the viability of various approaches to dealing with climate change and how likely they are to be embraced by the larger public and all that kind of stuff. Right. My main thought about it was while the science points in a certain direction about what's happening with the earth, I think there is a certain, I don't know if marketing is the right word, but there's a certain amount of presentation that that has to happen and that presentation has to be done in a way that people can actually digest it and and buy into the idea that this is something doable that it's mm. yes it's it's dire but i think if you just present it as oh my god this is awful and you ought to go do something about it <laughs> <laughs> people end up just feeling frozen mm-hmm. you know it's like okay I, this is too big it's too scary i don't know what to do so I'm just going to keep my head down and go through my normal life right. and hope for the best. Um, I did an episode exactly about that phenomenon with someone who taught me about it, um, someone who wrote about the bystander effect, whose name mm. escapes me, and we've talked about it before. Uh-huh. But the idea being, <clears throat> this has been studied, um, that without, you know, you, if there's a lot, of, the more people who are doing nothing in the midst of a crisis, the more other people will be doing nothing. Because of the feelings of, of of actually a collection of feelings, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough about what has just happened or who's involved. Um, somebody else must be taking care of it by now, um, et cetera. There's all kinds of psychological sort of wheels get turning when you see people close to you also not responding in a crisis. Um, but it changes when somebody says, not just says, "There's a crisis." Help! Mm-hmm. They say you call nine one one, etc. Yeah, you go do this. Right. Get that in them. I think I remember now a little better that conversation we started to have uh, yesterday. I was commenting that the direction that my brother go went with the conversation, which resonated with you, about thinking about economics and thinking about how are we going to make this transition and not feel like we have to make huge sacrifices because that's not going to sell. It was just interesting to me because it's not where my mind goes. It doesn't mean that it's not important, that these aren't things that need to be thought about and talked about. It's just It just was interesting to me to notice about myself that I don't go there. I tend to want a more frugal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. Well, and I think David's point, and I and I tend to agree with it, is if you don't take into consideration the economic impacts of drastically reducing such a huge part of the economy like mm. the energy sector is, yeah. then you can throw the world into real chaos when it terms in terms of of driving down the economy to the point where people lose jobs, you create you know um, political instability in places we've already seen part we've already seen what can happen mm-hmm. when countries get very very poor and you know where i and i where I go when I hear that though mm-hmm. is that there is tremendous instability is an illusion that there isn't there already is and but i don't, I think it's a matter of degree i mean. I'm talking about when government systems break down to the point where people stop feeling like there is an authority. I don't think you can disregard the economic impact of taking action on climate change and what strategy. I mean, there are different strategies you could come up with. You could you know, take a very, very hard line approach and just say, we're going to zero out using carbon, period. You know, you could have some sort of like police state where you would start yanking people over and putting them in prison for driving Mm -hmm. cars or, you know, burning coal or whatever. Um, And you could create a lot of political instability and a lot of hardship and a lot of probably death and destruction but the planet might be better off, <laughs> you know, as far as the actual ecosystem that we live in. It might actually clean up if that happened, even though the humans, that those of us that inhabit the earth, would be living in pretty dire straits. Um, so I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm just painting them in extremes. You, no, I, no, I'm, I'm listening. I'm sorry. You're just probably reacting to the face that I'm making, but I'll yeah. explain it after you're done. Go right. ahead. So... Where I tend to to come down on is the side that says we have to present this as an opportunity to really change the way that we create our economic system. I think we can have energy systems that don't contaminate and destroy the planet the way that, that we have. And that I think that's the next phase in our evolution as a species is to understand the impact that our activity has and create energy systems and production systems that can actually help our planet heal. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that that's impossible. In fact, I th- I think it is possible. And you can employ a lot of people and actually create jobs that that are healthy for for the planet and healthy for people. They're not working in you know, the really dirty, dirty industries that have shortened people's lives and led to them dying in, you know, factory accidents and mine disasters and all kinds of things. Yeah. So I guess my point overall was to to really get people on board with the idea of doing something about client, client change, client change, climate change. I think you have to present like a positive future, like a picture of what's possible and and not 
and not just have them feel like this is going to be bad. We're going to have to just be poor and not, you know, just have a have a uh, a lower standard of living. Like that's the alternative, because I think the the anti climate change or the de- the deniers, I think they prey on that. They prey on people's fear about this is going to mean loss of thousands and millions of jobs. You know, if if we implement all these things, that means people, our economy is going to go in the tank and people are going to lose their jobs. They really, they really take advantage of those kinds of fears. What I keep coming back to is that there's the, the idea of there being a finite amount of, it's not an idea, it's the reality. There's a finite amount of resources in the world. Let's say there's a group of people sitting around a table dividing a pie. And one person at the table is getting a quarter of the pie. And there are 12 more people at the table. And um, some of them are starving. And the person who's getting a quarter of the pie is not anywhere near starving. In a scenario like that, the idea of selling the that that the the person who's got the quarter of the pie needs to be happy or needs to say okay or ha, ha, you know that they the person who's in charge in a sense has to be sold on the idea of of giving up their unfair share um to me that, that there's a there's like an I feel offended by it even though I understand I understand what you're saying is that we're up against the fact that the people who are in control of what happens are the ones who have more than their share. Um, and, but I don't know that you're ever going to be able to sell them on it. It just, for me, it, it, the question is more about how do we make this change happen and um, less about how do we keep everyone happy while we make this change happen? Well, I guess my first thought is in your analogy, that we don't know, like, what if what we think the limits of the pie are is actually not real? Like, that we don't we don't know how big the pie really is or could be. It's assuming that that what we know is fixed, and that that there are no advances in technologies that are could that could possibly allow us to make more efficient use of the resources that we have available to us and actually expand the pie. And I think there, you know, if you look at, at the, the history of us as a species, we've, we've done this time and time again, especially since the, you know, like the industrial revolution and the scientific method, we've, we've found unbelievable ways to expand what we thought we knew. So, I mean, that's that's really where I'm coming from. I mean, of of course, the, I mean, I don't I don't want to make the I don't want to give the impression that I don't think there need to be any sacrifices, or that anybody should have to endure any hardship. I mean, yes, I think we should. I mean, I think we should, as a as a society, be paying a lot more in taxes to fund the kinds of research and the changes that would need to happen. Yeah. I think that should be a priority. It, you know, it's like if we were going to war, we would mobilize all of our industries in support of this. And we would find the resources to get it done. Mm-hmm. And that should be the mindset. Yeah. But it would be with the 
with the vision that we're actually going to someplace better. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we're going, I, I think that's no debate there about wanting to go someplace better. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to come back to the pie. Okay. You said that there's an assumption in that, that, that the size of the pie is determined. And I think there's more than one way of defining the pie. Um, but f there are ways of defining it that are determined to our best of our knowledge in terms of how much carbon we can put into the atmosphere or how much fossil fuel we can put into the atmosphere before. Mm -hmm. we and I think we are, it's, it's very clear that we, we are, t there's more being put there than, than we can sustain. So yeah, there is some numbers right there. And, and then, then there's also the reality that we don't have time to find replacement ingredient. I'm going to be annoyingly in my metaphor, but replacement ingredients for that pie. We have, we have, there is stuff that we know, you know, we know a lot about renewables that we have enough. The calculations have been done to say that we ha easily can do this with renewables, the amount of energy that we're burning. And then we also know that there's a lot of crap that is being produced that's not good for anybody except to make rich people richer. You know, like just products like that aren't useful or healthy, poorly made things that are designed to, to only last a year so you have to buy another one. Um, food that isn't actually healthy or sustaining in life but are what poor people are forced to buy because they get the most calories for their dollar. And maybe I'm just at a place right now where I feel like Ah, <laughs> we have to stop. Like, we have to stop. Like, the people who are in charge are the people with the, all the resources, who control the resources and, and, and have the most wealth because of it. And it's, I don't think it's about convincing them what's right. It's about, like, how do we take the power back? That's, that's what, that's, maybe that's, yeah, that probably gets at it best. What, what kind of question is in my mind these days. For me, it's not an armed revolution isn't the answer, personally. Well, I mean, it's a good question, especially given that we're in an election year. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately where you take the power back. Do you really think so? Well, that's the way that, that our... That, that would be the way to, to actually get things done in the most efficient, timely way is if, is if our, well, our political system is really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean like it's corrupt and the people are bad. I mean, it's whole structure is m the way that we have the separation of powers and all the different nuances and ways that a minority can block action. Yeah. Um, it really, it really does not lead to um, a system where you can take action very quickly mm -hmm. on a lot of things. I mean, what it what it requires, especially now, in the way that that our you know House and the Senate are working, is one party being dominant. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way that it would actually, in my mind, that's the way it would actually have to happen. And in our political reality now, it would have to be Democrats. You would have to have an overwhelming majority in both houses so that a president 
who's would have to be a Democrat because there's no way a Republican president would ever go along with any of this, um, a Democratic president who would pro, uh, propose, you know, pretty significant, drastic changes to the way our economy is structured. And you'd have to have House and Senate that would be in agreement and go mm-hmm. along. Yeah. And that that could create action that would actually make a difference, I think. I mean, the reality, I mean, I think the way things are likely to happen is that our system is not going to act quickly enough. Yeah. And that it's going to have to come through, through, I don't know, technology innovations in the private sector that just over time become clear that they're an improved way to go. I mean, it's hap- yeah, it is yeah. it is happening. Uh, I mean, some of it was a result of Obama's first couple of years, right? I, I don't, I, I think there's some truth to that, but I also think um, there's a lot of things that are not about having a new or better technology. It's it's about going back to the roots of what we know about how to take care of the land so that you're not depleting the soil and making quality. Um, choices around agriculture um, so that we don't have monocrops and that we don't ha- need, you know, to, 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 to use um, such toxic things to grow things or so much water to grow things. Um, this is just one sort of corner of the, the wheel, but, but it's, I think it's probably a good, one of the better examples because, you know, agriculture is so old and it's such a long established technology to, to a certain extent. And that, um, that there's so much waste there in the industrial scale. Um, and I think we, we, we quoted some statistics, uh, in an earlier episode about, uh, the percentage of calories per acre that mm-hmm. are produced mm-hmm. in a, um, a small scale farm where you can use the land more, more consciously than you can in a large scale farm where you have to use the land in a way that it makes it most accessible to speed and machines. Um, so that there's, you produce more calories per acre in a, in a small scale organic farm than you do, you know, in a great big soybean operation, which was the, the rationale for having those great big operations was that it was going to be the thing that made us secure, um, have, have food security, but we, we know better. And then, but we've built into the system things like subsidies for things that were supposed to be our ticket to security and, and wealth as a nation. Um, you know, fossil fuels are subsidized. Um, certain crops are subsidized, which which are are to the point where they, that's why the, the cheap food is the, is the stuff that's made with the with, I mean, everything's made with corn, including the meat. Right. Everyone feeds the, the meat, you know, feeds right. the animals corn. Anyway, the point is, I don't think that's going to do it. I don't think new technolo- technological innovations that, that you know, can keep us within the same sort of mindset, which is the only way we can change, we can find change is if it, there's a profit motive involved, um, is going to be the way to go. Is going to be it's going to be the way. I don't think I don't. I think it's got to be. We have to change our motivations, and it seems maybe we're not going to be able to do it in time. Maybe, probably we're not. <laughs> probably the human race is going to become a much smaller thing um, in the course of the next fifty years or more. 
Um, I think they said something like 6 million people a year dying because of climate change in 20 years from now or 50 years from now. Um, because of, um, you know, the, the natural disasters that will happen, the mm-hmm. famine, the, the, the uh, droughts that will happen, uh, the heat, the lack of resources. Um, I think we're in a unique place where we have to know that we're not going to be able to solve it and fix it completely, and yet we still have to push somehow in our grassroots way. Um, and and I, I'm frustrated personally because I haven't figured out what would be I, – I, I think because I keep trying to figure out what would be effective and useful way for me to push when I have to accept that I just have to – figure out what direction I want to push in and just push whether or not, whether or not it's going to be effective. Mm-hmm. And so my, my most recent thought has been to renew, redouble my efforts at understanding how my state of Connecticut in the United States is managing its resources and taking care of its air and its water and its people. Um, because I have a vote here on, on a much bigger scale than I do Nationally, like there's a lot more things I can weigh in on here than I, I can even in Bangladesh or wherever, you know, especially. What are your thoughts? Well, I guess I, I keep coming back to like the way you get your biggest bang for the buck is for our national government to get on board and treat this like a national emergency. Yeah, which it is. But it's an international emergency. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. That that's that's how you would really get meaningful change. What way do you see to encourage that to happen? Well, the most immediate one is to get people to go out and vote for Democrats. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be so nakedly partisan, mm-hmm. but there's nobody in the Republican presidential field or from what I've heard and read, anybody in their in their congressional delegation that really would take this on as a serious issue. They're all in the denial camp. As a national party, they've decided that this is our position. Climate change isn't real. Mm-hmm. If it is real, it's not caused by man. Yeah. You know, it's caused, it's a natural cycle, and the earth will cycle back in the other direction at some point, and so what? For 50 years, we'll have warmer Christmases, and then we'll go back to being freezing, you know? Yeah. So... There really is, as far as in my mind, there really is no choice. And you could make the case that Democrats are bought off by corporate interest as well, but I don't, I don't think it's nearly to the same degree. And I do think you would get some real action to happen if you had overwhelming majorities in the House and the Senate, and you had a Democrat in the White House, mm-hmm. and you had a Supreme Court. Mm. <laughs> that was balanced in the other direction, right. which brings us to Scalia's death yeah. and the Republicans' unwillingness to even entertain a nominee from Obama, um, which is crucial because the Supreme Court just put a hold on the new regulations that Obama was going to implement, right. which was part of our commitment in from the Paris, you know, the Paris Climate Change Summit. Yeah, so. I mean, the the stakes really couldn't be bigger yeah. in my mind. They really couldn't be. Right. You know, to really take this seriously, you have to have democratic majorities in both houses 
significant majorities Mm -hmm. and a Democrat in the White House so that they can appoint, you know, they can confirm a new justice that is going to, you know, see the wisdom of dealing with climate change and and implementing laws and not finding some nuance that, that is a violation of some whacked out, you know, theory on the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. To me, it's pretty clear at this point what we have to do, and given that this is an election year. When you say we, who's we? The people. Well, what do, what do we do? We go out and we vote. And you we think talk, that's it? And I we mean, talk to our friends about voting. Okay. Hmm. And we help people get to the polls if they need to. And right. we, you know, it's like my son, you know, your stepson hmm. is up in Vermont. I hope he's listening. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> you know, just little things like making sure that he gets an absentee ballot. Yeah. If he's not going to be here. Right. Little things like that. Yeah. Those are little things. <laughs> I mean, not that well, they don't matter, but they are little things. I, I, What I find myself thinking of, I, try, I cannot think of her name right now or her country, but it's a, an African woman during... Um, Civil War, not that long ago in the, her country, mm-hmm. um, was part of a group of women who were trying to figure out how to make peace. And this group of women were from different religious backgrounds. Um, and so they would meet on a regular basis. And someone in the group um, came up with this idea, and she and, and, and a few others ran with it. And they organized – I told you about this. They organized mm-hmm. – um, uh, and I should tell you, there's a Spike Lee movie that you can watch on Amazon now called Chirac, which is sort of play off Chicago and Iraq. And they're make, drawing a parallel between the number of people killed in Iraq over a certain period of time. And it's, I don't know, maybe around a decade. Same thing with um, in Afghanistan, the n- number of American people killed. Um and how uh, how many people had been killed, you know, due to violence in in Chicago in the same period, and the Chicago number was so much higher, mm-hmm. and um, it comes down to the to to the to racism really to the idea that mm-hmm. the sort of invisible nature of black lives, um, and um, so somebody in this movie I haven't seen the whole thing. It's pretty intense. You need full attention, and I tend to watch things while I'm folding laundry or whatever. But um, I, at some point, I'll get through it. But um, but anyway, they they use this same woman as their inspiration. These women, um, there they decide they're going to try to end the viol- the gang violence. And these women meet uh, in the movie. They meet across lines of um, like gang girlfriends from two different gangs sit down together, and somebody says. Let's do this thing that this woman did in in Africa, which is um, start a movement where the women refuse to have sex with their husbands and boyfriends as long as they're participating in the violence or condoning the violence quietly by drinking in the bars with their guy friends who are part of the violence. Um, That they insisted that the men stand up against it um, because the men were in the position to actually make change where the women weren't. And so I bring it up because I think we as citizens, yeah, we can vote. Yeah, we can boycott things. Yeah, we can show up in the streets and make a scene. But where where do we have access to the people who actually make the decisions in a way that um, 
you know, someone else in another part of the world doesn't? Or, you know, how can we do something as meaningful and as, you know, with the full understanding that the, that's by saying newsworthy, I mean, that has the same sort of sex appeal in a sense as a story like that had. I mean, a lot of the reason that that's, that story became so big and this woman won a Nobel prize is because they recognized from the beginning that by doing this sex boycott, <laughs> that it would draw the attention of the media because it was um, compelling as a news story, as something that would cut through all the other things that are clamoring for your attention every day. So I just, I guess I'm at the point now where I'm trying to think in those terms. Um, I mean, if so it's really true. Yeah, yeah so this is, this is where, as far as I've been able to get in my mind, is that if it's really true that Republicans are all in on this, they've been bought by the corporations and they're denying climate change because it's in their financial interest and what they really believe is that it's real, which a lot of, you know, reputable news organizations are saying is actually the case or they, in many people's cases, the case. Um, if that's going on, like, how do we, these are our, you know, buddies, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't personally know anyone who's in a position to gain financially from denying climate change, <laughs> though that's not even true when I say that. I know people who work for corporations because this is how they – I know people who work do work that, that actually is in part of the machine. They know it's not right, but that's what they how they make a living. Like how do we get in close with those people and go, look, this is where the, the change has to happen. Like we'll support you to have a good life, but you can quit that job. Or I don't know. I'm just mm. – I don't know. I'm thinking out sort of mm-hmm. – you know, when you, when you brainstorm, you shouldn't reject any ideas. Just think of them. Yeah. What are your thoughts here? Yeah. Well, I think it's a it's a good it's a good example of engage like how do you engage on a personal level? Mm-hmm. And first of all, I think you have to start with the premise that these people aren't bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, that's a tough one when you're thinking about. People who are in major positions of power. Right. Right. But it's true. I, I agree. Yeah. Go on. Well, yeah. I mean, they're subject to all the same motivations and confusions as all of us and fears as all of us. And, you know, I, I do think that some of them honestly believe that. Well, I think there's a wishful thinking that we that the world is just too big. And we can't do anything to really harm it. That our, you know, pollution that we throw out there really is just—it's a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. And that—that, that, you know, it's like the chicken, you know, sticking your head in the sand. Yeah. You know, you just—you just, you just want to an ostrich. Yeah, ostrich, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> Chickens can. Chicken do it littles. Too. Chicken yes. little <laughs> sky's falling. Um. <laughs> That there's there's that sort of wishful thinking that I think we can all succumb to mm-hmm. when something really big is going on. Like mm-hmm. it'll just be okay, right? You know, there, that's a comforting thought. It's a comforting <laughs> thought to think that 
the earth is just too big and it's too strong and it's too majestic to really be harmed significantly by me driving to work right. or whatever, the power plant that's nearby, and that this is all just the earth going through its cycle. I mean, that's a, that's a comforting thought. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know that you have to be bought off by to, any corporate right to be in that denial place to, right. to, to, to be in that level of denial right right i do think that the earth is just going through what it needs to go through but it might be sweating out the humans i mean i don't think yeah. i think the earth isn't in danger it's it's our well i mean actually i think there's some people with science with science backgrounds who would disagree with me that we could actually destroy our Make atmosphere completely yeah. and kill yeah. the planet basically as an or yeah. if you think of it as an organism right. organism we could really well, make continue it continue to cook it well yeah i mean there could come a point where we basically do away with our atmosphere mm -hmm. um so that isn't outside the realm of possibility but but more of a, an immediate possibility is that we make the planet inhospitable to humans mm -hmm. and uh and that's that's really what we're up against right now is that issue, you know, not so much the Earth as right. a as a whole as a as a as a if it was an all one being, whether we're killing the Earth. I don't think that's where we have quite that much. Um, I don't think it would kill us before we got there. I, but I don't know that for, for I don't have enough scientific background to de <laughs> defend that idea. But right now, I think we're we're talking about whether we keep it a place we can live. And movies like The Martian, which I watched recently, um, which, by the way, you can watch while folding laundry because it's not that demanding, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> if it was available on video. Um, but anyway, it um, it's very appealing because it's showing like this guy surviving on Mars and make growing his own food and like in in this little like structure that's basically just built out of what look like tarps. You know, it's not that simple, but. Um, but those kind of things are really appealing to a lot of people right now. The idea of colonizing Mars as like the last resort, which is yeah. seems really Our exit crazy strategy. So, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? It was almost it was sixty degrees yesterday, middle of February. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> in Connecticut, which is not usually the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was nice bike riding weather, though. Yeah, we did have a nice bike ride. Right. Okay. That's where you want to leave it? Okay. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, I have a Facebook page. I've never mentioned this on the podcast. It's a well-kept secret. Hello Climate Change. You can find it on Facebook and like it. And I publish there whenever I put up um, a new um, episode. And I also publish little memes going around and uh, from other um, sources came across something on Facebook the other day that I really liked that was, I don't know who actually said it, but it was saying something about right wing, left wing. They're both on the part of the same bird. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's just kind of thought provoking. Um, so, um, yes, hello, cc.info is the website for this podcast. I love hearing from you. Uh, I, what do you want me to talk about next? Who, anyone you want me to talk to, um, and just general encouragement and praise is highly welcome. Thank you. And have a nice day. Thank you, Jim. You're